Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. It is the first Sunday of Advent. Um, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, um, and it, it means the coming or, or the arrival. And so we've lit the first candle of our Advent wreath, and that's often referred to as the candle of hope. The candle of hope. It's the candle that reminds us how we look forward to celebrating the, the arrival, the coming of the Messiah. It's the one that, the, the one that God promised in the Old Testament, the one that Israel hoped for and anticipated for centuries. It's the living hope that we just spoke about, amen? Yes, amen. So I trust you all had a Thanksgiving filled with some good food, yes. some gratitude for the many blessings that we have, both the visible, tangible blessings, and especially those unseen spiritual blessings that God has given to us in Christ. It's hard to believe that Thanksgiving has passed and it's now Christmas time already. Christmas season is in full swing. Has anybody started shopping yet? Most of us? All right, here's a real question. Has anybody finished shopping yet? A couple. All right, that's really impressive. Um, apparently, pet birds are a hot item this year. Yeah, I hear they're flying off the shelves. <laughs> The groans and boos make me want to do it more. <laughs> I say the greatest gift, Christmas gift, is a broken drum. You just can't beat it. Sorry, that's, that's all I got. I always love to see what the must-have items are that sell year by year. You know, those items that are in high demand but very short supply. I was reading about some of these must-have items um, through the years, going back to, to the 60s. So as we look at that, maybe you received one as a kid, or maybe you remember buying any for your children. So in the 60s, we had things like the Easy Bake Oven, some Hot Wheels, and G.I. Joe. 70s came, and we had Light Bright, Star Wars figurines, and Atari. The OG right there, Atari. 80s came. We had Cabbage Patch Kids. We had the Nintendo and Transformers. 90s came about, we had Barbie Dreamhouse, Tickle Me Elmo, and Furby. And then in the 2000s, we saw the rise of all the various electronics and gaming systems like the iPod, the iPad, and all the various Playstations and Xboxes. See, we talk about these great gifts that we have. But for a lot of us, these must-have gifts, these, these items that are really hard to find, they, they require some skill in getting them. It requires either a lot of waiting, uh, maybe a bit of scheming, um, or just absolute total luck. But today, on our first Sunday of Advent, we're going to talk about the greatest Christmas gift that was ever 
given. The greatest Christmas gift anyone can ever receive. And getting this gift doesn't require any waiting. It doesn't demand any scheming. And it's not at all dependent upon luck. It was the very first Christmas gift. It remains the most expensive Christmas gift. And it's the greatest gift a person could receive. And though it's never in short supply, unfortunately, it does oftentimes seem to be in pretty low demand. And we learn about this first Christmas gift in one verse, in 24 short words that many of us can recall from memory, a verse that we wouldn't actually think is a Christmas verse. And that's John 3.16. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, this verse is the gospel in a nutshell. It's the most popular verse in the entire Bible. Tim Tebow paints it on his face before games. Uh, churches pull, put it up in their billboards, and athletes tattoo it on themselves. And for good reason. You know, it's been said that this single verse is to Scripture what the Mississippi River is to America, an entryway into the heartland. It's, it's been called the alphabet of grace and the table of contents to the Christian hope. Each of the 24 words, a safe deposit box of jewels. And it's the springboard from which we're launching into our new Advent series that we're calling The Gifts of Christmas. We're going to spend the last five Sundays of the year focusing in on the true meaning of Christmas by looking at what God has given to us in Christ. Because the fact of the matter is that the very reason we give gifts during this time of the year is because of the gifts that we've received from God. So this morning, as we look at John 3.16, we learn of this first gift, the greatest gift, and that's the gift of God's Son, the very gift of Jesus himself. Now, there are so many great uh, treasures to uncover in this passage, but we're going to kind of break this up into three different parts. So the very first thing we're going to focus on is the God of Christmas. The God of Christmas. John 3.16 starts out with these words, For God so loved the world. Would you repeat with me those six words out loud? For God so loved the the world. See, this verse, like the Bible itself and like all of life, begins with God. The very first verse in the entire Bible in the book of Genesis is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, from beginning to end, Scripture assumes the existence of God. But which God? See, we've grown accustomed to having so many choices available at Christmas time. Right? If you want to buy someone an air fryer, you go to Amazon. Amazon will give you over 900 options. If you're shopping for a drone, Amazon will give you over 4,000 choices. And if you're looking for a book on God, Amazon will give you over 70,000 choices to pick from. See, in our culture today, we watch as people bring that same mentality of choice to, to finding a God or goddess that they can believe in, one that they would choose. See, for people today, there's a huge variety of gods to pick from, including the none of the above option. You can believe in one God and you'd be considered a, a Jew, a Christian, or a Muslim. You can believe in multiple gods and be a Hindu or a Wiccan. You can believe that you are God and be a Buddhist or a New Age spiritualist. Or you can believe there is no God and be an atheist or a materialist. See, but the God of Christmas isn't some sort of a transcendent build-a-bear that you personalize to your own taste and preferences. The God of Christmas, the one identified in the phrase, for God so loved the world, is the one true God that the Bible testifies about. So let's look at two things we can say about this God. First is that the God of Christmas is the God of ultimate perfection. 
The God of Christmas is the God of ultimate perfection. There's a branch of theology that we call theology proper. Now, that's, theology proper is just a fancy way of saying the study of God and his attributes. So studying theology proper would answer questions like, who is God? What is God like? Or for our purpose this morning, who is this God of Christmas? Now, there's a lot, a lot that can be said here. Um, but I'll, let me just share just a, a snippets of some of what I wrote in my ordination thesis on this topic. So just to give you an idea of who this God is that we're talking about, if you're not sure. Okay, so God is the supreme being who created out of nothing everything that's in existence. He's one in being, yet he exists as three eternal and divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is independent, meaning he's totally self-sufficient and he existed before all things and he alone is the source of life and breath for all humankind. God is immutable. That's a fancy word for unchanging, meaning God's unchanging. He's unchanging in his promises. He's unchanging in his purposes. He's unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his nature. God is infinite, meaning he perfectly transcends all limitations of space. He perfectly transcends all limitations of time. He's omniscient. He knows perfectly himself and he perfectly knows all things outside of himself, including the totality of our actions, our being, our thoughts, everything about us, and he knows all things future. He's omnipotent, meaning he has unlimited power to do whatever is consistent with his nature, as evidenced by his power in creation, his power in redemption, his power in providence. God is also all-wise. He created by his wisdom. He redeems by his wisdom, and he's the very source of wisdom. God is holy, meaning that he's completely separated from sin and devoted to his own honor. And God's holiness also demands that he punish sin. God is righteous, always acting in accordance with what is right, and he himself is the final standard of what is right. He is good, meaning he's the source of every good thing and the very standard that of that which we, which we would consider wholesome, virtuous, and beautiful. His goodness is evidenced by his mercy toward those in distress, his grace toward those who deserve only punishment, and his patience toward the unrighteous sinners for whom he delays punishment. See, this is the God of Christmas that I'm talking about. The God of Christmas is all of these things and so much more. He's the infinite God that our finite minds will never fully comprehend. He's the God of ultimate perfection, as we just saw, perfect in all of his infinite attributes. But the attribute that John 3.16 highlights, one that we didn't even mention yet, is that the God of Christmas is also the God of unlimited love. He's the God of unlimited love. First John tells us that, he, that God is love. He himself is love. He eternally gives of himself to others. And this self-giving finds clear expression in his relationship to fallen humanity. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. See, that God could be uh, so perfect, uh, so, so all-knowing, so powerful, and yet still choose to love us is an incredible thought. He isn't some distant, disinterested, uh, unengaged being playing hide-and-seek with his creation. He, he's a personal God who knows intimately and perfectly everything there is to know about you, all of your being, all of your thoughts, all of your flaws, all of your failures, all of your quirks, all of your hopes and dreams, all of your hurt, all of your pain. He knows everything that can be known about you and me, and yet he still chooses to love us. Now, in the Greek language of the first century, there were several words that you would use to, to describe this kind of love. Well, the one used here, when it says God so loved, that comes from uh, the Greek word that we would call agape, agape love. So agape love 
It speaks of a particular kind of love. It speaks of the love of the will, the kind of love that intentionally and, and consciously chooses to serve another. It's not a, a loose or fleeting love motivated by any kind of superficial appearance, any kind of emotional attraction, or any kind of sentimental relationship. It's not a love uh, based on just good feelings. Instead, it's the kind of love that gives and doesn't require anything in return. See, it's completely unselfish, and it seeks the highest good for the benefit of the one being loved, no matter the cost. So that's the kind of agape love that God has for us. Now, maybe this sounds a bit routine for some of us here who've experienced this and and continue to be on the receiving end of this kind of love from the Father. But maybe you're here listening to this, and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way God can love me like this. Ken, if you only knew the things I've said and done, if you only knew the people I've hurt, if you only knew the thoughts I had, God can't love me. Well, I would encourage you to look again at the verse. It says, for God so loved who? The world. Cosmos, that's the word cosmos there, and that refers to all of humanity. See, God's love is unlimited in scope. God so loved the world, every person on every continent, from every nation and descent, from Jews to Arabs, from Native Americans to Mexicans, from black to white and everything in between. God so loved the world, every person of every status and background, whether civilized or savage, whether illiterate or cultured, whether rich or poor, straight or gay, strong or weak, old or young. He loves the anti-vaxxers as much as he loves the vaccinated. He loves progressives and he loves conservatives. He loves religious and the skeptics. He loves the Baptists and the Catholics. God loves the smallest, the lowest, the meanest, the worst, the grandest, the highest, the purest, the best. For God so loved the world. Say that out loud with me. For God so loved the world. See, the God that we look to at Christmas is the God of ultimate perfection and he's the God of unlimited love. And in true fashion to his agape-loving nature, he demonstrated that love by giving us the greatest gift of all. John 3.16 goes on and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Say those six words out loud with me. That he gave his only son. See, here's the thing about love. The amount that a person loves can be measured by the actions that that person's love provokes. Meaning, our attempts at loving others are usually self-centered, they're usually half-hearted, they rarely require any kind of meaningful sacrifice. In fact, just a few verses after this in John 3, 19, it goes on to say that we humans love, agape uses the same word, we humans love the things of darkness more than we do the things of God. So in the same way that our misplaced love of darkness is so strong that it provokes us to reject God, God's love is so overwhelming that it provoked him to give his only son to us and for us. So we've looked a bit at the God of Christmas. Now let's focus on what we'll call the gift of Christmas. The gift of Christmas. Since God so loved the world that he gave Jesus his only son, see, loving and giving go together. You can give without loving, but you can't truly love without giving. Giving is the essence of love. So the gift of Christmas that we're talking about is the very expression, the very demonstration of God's love. 
From the very beginning, God has been a a giving God, a gift-giving God. See, in the ancient world, there were myths that um, it was various gods who created human beings to be slaves because these gods were only takers. But then you read in Genesis of a God who is so generous and so giving that he created the world with plenty and beauty and said, take this. This is good. I made this for you. It's yours. And then we humans went and messed things up like we usually do. Humans chose not to believe God, but instead loved themselves and their preferences more. And this led to the sinful, prideful fall of humanity. And this fall led to humans being spiritually dead in their trespasses, captive to sin and living in complete spiritual and moral darkness, completely cut off from the Father. But because God is a giving God and a God of sacrificial love, he put a plan in place to rescue his captive creation. See, 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave us the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah told humans that God's rescue plan would come in the form of a baby. But not just any particular baby, a very unique one, a very special one. And we heard that verse read before. Let's pull it back up again. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now here's the question. How can a human child also be called these things? How can a human child be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? He can't. No merely human can earn or deserve such titles. See, the only explanation for this is if the infinite and mighty God decides to enter into his creation in the form of a fully human child. Then you could say uh, a, child has, a, son, a child has been born and a son has been given because Jesus fulfilled both of those. See, that child that Isaiah prophesied about was fulfilled. He was born on that first Christmas morning. So one thing we learn about this gift of Christmas Two things we'll look at, but one is that this is an unthinkable gift. The gift of Christmas, the gift of Jesus is an unthinkable gift. To think that the fully divine Son of God who existed with the Father and with the Holy Spirit from eternity past took the form of a human, was born of a virgin so he could short-circuit the sin cycle that corrupts every human being, that's unthinkable. To the fact that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life and fulfilled hundreds of ancient prophecies is unthinkable. The fact that God would send his only son on the path of unimaginable suffering and unspeakable execution is entirely unthinkable. I mean, think for a moment about the person that you love most in this world. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, or maybe it's your best friend. So get that person in your mind. Now, think about the person that you would consider your greatest enemy. Maybe it's an ex, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a politician you've never met. Hopefully, it's not your spouse. Now, suppose this enemy of yours is in terrible need. They're in critical condition in the hospital, and the the, the only thing that will make them survive is a heart transplant. They need a heart transplant in order to survive. Now, what if your most loved one was the only person able to meet all the criteria necessary to make this heart transplant possible, to give your enemy a chance of survival? Would you sacrifice the person you love most to die in order to save the person you hate most? 
Imagine saying goodbye to the person you love most and seeing him or her wheeled in through the hospital doors and then sometime later watching your enemy come out of those doors. See, I'm not sure any of us would do that. But that's exactly what God did for us when he gave Jesus to the world. Not that God is our enemy, but scripture makes it clear that as sinners in our sin, we are enemies of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, this gift of Jesus was an unthinkable gift. Not only is Jesus an unthinkable Christmas gift, but we also learn that the gift of Jesus was an unsolicited Christmas gift. It's an unsolicited gift. See, the most asked question of this holiday season is, what do you want for Christmas? We ask our spouses that. We ask our kids that. What do you want for Christmas? On Christmas morning, a billion people will be opening gifts that they specifically asked for. But all the time, God is giving us things that we never knew we needed, things we never thought to ask for. He gives gives us beauty for our eyes. He gives us strength for our needs. He gives us music for our ears, friends for our hearts, imagination for our minds, and purpose for our days. But the gift that came to us that that very first Christmas morning was God's greatest gift, the one he was so eager to give. And though no one requested it, and though many didn't want it, God knew that Jesus was the exact gift that we desperately needed. The same way a loving mother sees her child in need and won't stop at anything to meet that need, so God saw us in desperate need of a Savior, and he stopped at nothing to make sure that need was met. It says in Romans 5.8, God shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us us. See, God didn't wait for us to muster up the intelligence or wisdom to ask for that gift. He willingly gave it to us because he knew it was the gift that we desperately needed. Because the God of Christmas is such a loving God, he demonstrated that love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. See, come Christmas morning, over a billion people will be looking underneath their trees in search for the gifts that they want. But God placed the greatest Christmas gift, not under the tree, but on the tree to die for us in our place. In return, he offers to us all the benefits of Jesus. See, God condemned his innocent son so he could acquit our guilty selves. The son was crowned with thorns so that we might be crowned with glory. He was stripped of his garments so we could be robed in righteousness. He was mocked so we might be honored. He was reviled so we might be blessed. He was numbered with the transgressors so we would be numbered among the redeemed. He went to the depths of humiliation so we might be lifted to the heights of glory. He suffered an awful separation from God that we would dwell eternally with God. Jesus is God's unthinkable, unsolicited gift to a world that rejected and rebelled against him. But that's the kind of incredibly loving God we have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Would you say the first half of that verse out loud with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So as we look at this verse at John 3.16, we've learned about the God of Christmas who is motivated by love to send us Jesus, the gift of Christmas. Let's now turn our attention to the final part of the verse. And we'll call this the guarantee of Christmas. The guarantee of Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Say the second half of that out loud with me. 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the guarantee in this verse? See, Christmas is about Jesus offering the guarantee of eternal life to whoever believes in him. Now, there's a couple things that could be said about this guarantee of eternal life. First is that this guarantee is accessible to all. It's accessible to all. Notice it says that whoever believes, whoever, emphasizing again the fact that just as God's love is unlimited in scope to all people everywhere, his guarantee of eternal life is also accessible to every person everywhere. Eternal life isn't out of reach even to the most vile, immoral people. The eternal life that Jesus made possible in his death and resurrection was for the whoever's. It was for everybody, including the abusive, including the child abusers, the murderers, the rapists, the prostitutes, the raging alcoholics, and the drug addicts. It's for everybody. It's, that's what whoever means. In his book, 316, The Numbers of Hope, Max Lucado, I love the way he writes it about this one word, whoever. Listen to what he writes in his book. He says this, the word whoever unfurls John 3.16 as a banner for the ages. The word whoever unrolls the welcome mat of heaven to humanity. The word whoever invites the world to God. Jesus could have so easily narrowed the scope, but he used no qualifier. The pronoun is wonderfully indefinite. After all, who isn't a whoever? The word sledgehammers racial fences and dynamites social classes. It bypasses gender borders and surpasses ancient traditions. The word whoever makes it clear. God exports his grace worldwide. God's gospel has a whoever policy and his whoever policy has a however benefit. God takes you however he finds you. No need to clean up or climb up, just look up. And this whoever policy also features a whenever clause. Whenever you hear God's voice, he welcomes your response. Request grace with your dying breath and God hears your prayer. Whoever means whenever and one more whoever means wherever. Wherever you are, you're not too far to come home. And then he says this. He says, we lose much in life. Sobriety, solvency, and sanity. We lose jobs and chances and we lose at love. We lose youth and its vigor, idealism and its dreams. We lose much but we never lose our place on God's whoever list. No status too low, no hour too late, no place too far, however, whenever, wherever, whoever includes you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This guarantee of eternal life is accessible to all. Now, here's the equally important but opposite side of this same coin. Though eternal life is accessible to all people everywhere, it's only acquired by those who believe. See, the only guarantee of eternal life is acquired through belief. The guarantee is acquired through belief. It's granted to whoever believes in Jesus. Now, the word here, to to believe, means to trust in, to cling to, and to rely on. So who's the object of that belief here? Jesus. 
Jesus is the object of that belief. So to believe in Jesus means to trust in Jesus and the work he did on your behalf in his death and resurrection. To believe in Jesus means to cling to Jesus as your savior from sin and as your leader for life. To believe in Jesus means to rely on him to save you and to give you eternal life, recognizing that there's nothing you could do in yourself to earn a place in God's kingdom. No amount of good works or religious rituals are gonna save you, only Jesus can. To believe in Jesus means to receive Jesus for who he is and for what he said he would do. See, this doesn't mean just knowing things about Jesus. Lots of people know things about God, know things about Jesus. That doesn't mean they believe in Jesus. The same way an unopened Christmas gift has no value or benefit to the recipient if it's left unopened, so does the guarantee of eternal life have have no value or benefit for those who refuse to surrender their lives to Christ. Because the reality is, if you leave Jesus' gift to you unopened, if you don't unwrap it for yourself, you remain condemned and will perish for an eternity apart from God. Now, that's not a popular thing to say, but it's true. That's why the next couple verses in John 3 go on to say this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So don't go through this Christmas season in unbelief. Instead, take hold of the greatest Christmas gift by trusting in Jesus. And the moment that that you thrust yourself upon the person and work of Jesus, believing him to be for you and do for you what he said, the Holy Spirit gives you a new spiritual life and he unites you to Jesus. And in that instant, you're born again. In that instant is when you believe. In that instant, you're united with the Son of God and you get his life. You get a new spiritual life that transforms you in the here and now and you get a spiritual life that guarantees that you'll spend that blissful, peaceful, and most joyous eternity with God in heaven and with one another. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Would you say out loud with me that entire verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's a story told that up in a northern city many years ago on a Christmas Eve, there was a little boy and the little boy was selling newspapers for pennies. He was homeless It was a really cold day out. So the little boy goes up to a policeman and said to the policeman, Sir, do you know where I can go to find a warm place? I'm so cold out in this weather. The policeman, who was a Christian, said, Son, go right down that street there, and on that corner, stop at that big house. They've got a warm fire, they've got plenty of good food, and they've got a bed on the inside. Go there, and they'll they'll let you in. But son, there's a password Don't forget the password. The little boy asked, well, what's the password? The policeman said, when you knock on that door and they come to the door, you just simply say, John 3, verse 16. So the little boy went down to that big house. He knocked on the door. A man came to the door and the little boy looked up. The little boy said to the man, John 3, verse 16. The man said, come on in, son. The little boy said, I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but it sure can get a little boy a big house. Then the man said, son, are you cold? He said, sir, I'm so cold that I'm shaking all over. 
He said, son, go over to that fireplace. There's a, there's a bunch of wood in that fire. You just stay in front of that fireplace until you get as warm as you want to be. The little boy went over. He took off his wet shoes. He took off his wet socks, and he put his little feet up and got just as warm as he wanted. And the little boy said, I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but it sure will get a cold little boy warm. Then the man came over and said, son, are you hungry? The little boy said, sir, I haven't had any food in days. I'm so hungry. He said, son, come in this next room. The little boy went into that next room and there on a big table it was filled with food, with turkey, vegetables, bread, cake, pie. He said, son, sit down and eat until your heart's content. So the little boy just sat there. He ate and ate and ate until he almost popped. The little boy said, I don't know what John 3 verse 16 means, but it sure will fill up a hungry little boy. And the man said, son, looks to me like you could use a bath. The boy said, sir, I've been out on the street for days. I haven't had a bath in a long time. The man told the little boy to follow him. They went upstairs and there was one of those big old timey bathtubs with those fancy feet. The man drew a big hot tub of water and he said, son, here's some perfume soap. It will make a lot of suds. You just get in there and just soap yourself up and get as clean as you want to get. And the little boy did. And he got out, he wrapped himself in one of those big luxurious towels. And he said, I don't know what John 3 verse 16 means, but it sure can get a dirty boy clean. And the man said, son, are you tired? He said, yes, sir, I haven't slept in days. The man said, son, put on these pajamas and go in that bedroom right there. You'll find a big old bed. It's got a big mattress, some fresh sheets, and it's got a big quilt. Sleep just as long as you want to sleep. So sometime the next morning, the little boy woke up and said, I don't know what John 3 verse 16 means, but it sure will give rest to a weary and tired little boy. The man came and the little boy asked, Sir, what does John 3 verse 16 mean? The man said, Son, it means for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And on that Christmas morning, the little boy received the greatest Christmas gift of all, the gift of Jesus. See, the purpose of Christmas is the gospel of Jesus. And maybe there's someone today here who, who's on the outside and, and you need to get into that big little house, into that big house. John 3.16 is your way in. Maybe you're here and you have a cold heart that needs to get warmed. John 3.16 will warm your heart. Maybe you're here and you're hungry in the depths of your soul. John 3.16 will fill your soul. Maybe you're dirty because of your sin and you need to get clean. John 3.16 will wash you and cleanse you to the purest. And maybe you're weary from life and tired of running from God. John 3.16 will give you rest for your weary soul. This is, after all, the whole meaning of Christmas. What John 3.16 teaches us is that the purpose of Christmas is the gospel of Jesus. Gospel simply means good news. And John 3.16 is the good news of Christmas in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the gospel there? Yes, yes, yes. Have you received for yourself the truth of this gospel? The God of Christmas demonstrated his love by giving us the greatest gift of Christmas so that you and I can receive the guarantee of Christmas. Have you opened yourself 
to this loving God, do you understand just how much he loves you? Let's watch this video. The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, 
I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father, and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father. And will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? you bow your heads with me as we enter into an attitude of prayer? If you've never unwrapped this gift for yourself, if you've never taken hold of this guarantee of eternal life, I encourage you to, to do that this morning. Pray in your heart along with me. Simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me so that I can truly live forever as a much-loved child of the Father. I confess with all that I am that you are the Lord of my life. And I believe with all of my heart that you, Jesus, were raised from the dead. I receive your forgiveness for all my sin, and I receive your life for my life. Thank you for making the way so that your father can become my father. If there's anybody here who's said that prayer, well, everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If there's anybody here who prayed that in their heart for the first time, would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for those who made a decision to follow you this very day. We thank you for our great Savior, that we get the privilege to enter into relationship with the very same Jesus we read about in your word, the one prophesied of old, the one born in that major in, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and the one who lived to die for us so that we could share an eternal life together. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to push aside all the distractions and, and noise of this season. Um, we get so busy with life and, and family and, and so much doing, Lord, that we just forget to stop and 
meditate on exactly what it is that this season is truly about because the world is not going to remind us. God, may we enter into this season with a new appreciation for everything that is ours in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen.